The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome to Squawkbox with Karen Cho, myself, Steve Sedgwick. And these are your headlines. So you've got this vicious rotation trade at the moment. Well, it's taking its toll on the Nasdaq as technology posts another weak session, whilst underloved lockdown stocks continue to rise. Singles Day racks up over $56 billion in orders as Alibaba hopes a pent-up demand from Chinese consumers will help provide a boost after the e-commerce giant is left bruised by the suspended Ant IPO. Hong Kong Exchange reports a 52% rise in profit as a run of large listings helps support trading revenues. We hear from Chief Executive Charles Lee in a first on CNBC at 9.30 CET. Ginny Rometty tells CNBC exclusively that political certainty is the friend of business as the IBM chairman congratulates Joe Biden on his election win and welcomes the vaccine breakthrough. It allows us to return to perhaps a bit of a more new normal, but a number of these things in the hybrid way of working, I believe will remain and the digital acceleration will continue because people have now seen what is possible. Plus the Boston Fed President Eric Rosengren telling CNBC that the amount of central bank intervention is appropriate, especially given the lack of fiscal policy. The next six months are going to continue to be pretty choppy and that's partly because uh, the pandemic has gotten worse than many people expected. In the United States it's less clear what the fiscal policy is going to be and it's unclear how easy it's going to be to get widespread adoption of the uh, vaccine. Oh, welcome to the show. Nice to see you. We just had a big debate about routine and whether we like a little bit of a change. Our weeks are all over the place. Man. We're doing so many extracurricular activities, aren't right. we? We're a little bit work from home or work from the studio. And you know what happens if there's a vaccine? Will this hybrid mix of working from home continue? Oh, even when the, there will be a vaccine. It's just a question of, will, will he be sitting there then? Will the three of us be together again? <laughs> will, will we have like uh, half a metre rules as opposed to two metre? But it, it provokes a whole lot of questions, doesn't it? If we've all had the vaccine, if we all show antibodies, if we've all been tested, then yeah, potentially we do. But what if one of us doesn't want to take the vaccine? Where does that leave the, the social distancing in the studio and social distancing on aeroplanes, for instance? I take most medicines that are approved medically. I don't see why I would, well, I'm, I need that is. <laughs> not, not medicines randomly. I'll take some of that in the cup. But, but, I, but I, the I, response is not the same for everyone. I know a number of people already who are saying they do not want to take the vaccine. People who think they may have already had COVID. So there could be some level of opposition. Even if out they've there. had COVID, I mean, you've been a great advocate of, of, of antibodies don't necessarily last. So if you've had COVID, so what? Well, you know, I'm the first person to cure up for a flu jab, but, <laughs> but not everybody is the same. People feel differently about vaccines. Yeah. They're strange, aren't they? I suppose they feel very strange about 21st century medical science all round, are they? Or is it just this one? 
Well, I think it does provoke a, a broader question, though. We talk about new normal. You see this huge rotation on stock markets. Is it going to take longer if there is some opposition to embracing a vaccine because it is seen as sort of a saviour to get us back to, to where we were pre-pandemic? Yeah. But if people do not adopt it, then then maybe it's going to take longer and there social was, distancing um, and, and some of the work from home hybrid models continue. Oh, I mean, that, that, that's going to go on forever. That is a structural change. There is no doubt. There is no turning that back. I and mean, if you're talking to Gina Rometty, which is a great interview, or where I'm talking to uh, Jean-Pascal Tricot, that's done. I mean, the, the workplace has changed forever now because of COVID. No doubt about that. But um, great survey somewhere. I just saw the headline. Actually, I didn't read into it. It's like, yeah, most Brits say they will have the vaccine or more than 50% say, but you go first, Boris. <laughs> I think was the point. Uh, let us move on because uh, our great friend uh, Arjun is waiting in the wings. Uh, Alibaba has already recorded more than $56 billion in singles day sales. The Chinese e-commerce giant said it was processing orders at a peak rate of 582 3,000 per second. What? Really? 583,000 per second. Goodness me. Uh, with the annual shopping event already beating revenue estimates. It says here, Adlib Alibaba. So I shall Adlib it. Shares down 8.2%. There you go. Um, up 22% year to date. But of course, there are other things going on. Concerns about what happens with Ant. Concerns about broader regulation as well. Is this to get them back with their mojo from the share price? I would suggest not quite, not yet, Arjun. Good morning to you. Good morning, Steve. Well, to be honest, if you look historically, Singles Day doesn't really have a big impact on the share price. It's key for Alibaba for a couple of reasons. Firstly, yes, it's a sales driver. But secondly, it's a very, very important marketing tool uh, for Alibaba because the company uh, and its rivals like JD as well have been trying to push into some of these lower tier, smaller cities here in China, perhaps with less spending power. They've been doing that through these very heavy discounts, heavy promotions that are very uh, attractive when it comes to price and attracting some of these consumers in lower markets. I think what we've seen so far is you mentioned the sort of record $56 billion in sales so far. That came very, very early on in the day and that's because this year things are very different instead of it being a single day for singles day like it usually is it's actually started the promotions back on november 1st so it's been going on for a few days at this point so inevitably the the sales figures are going to be higher than last year and they'll probably uh, potentially even double last year's figures at, at this rate uh, in time it's a promising obviously start and you're seeing of course in china here which has broadly managed to control the the pandemic the economies are reopened consumer sentiment is rising again and so this is a real test of, of really the health of the Chinese consumer at this point as well in terms of what we're seeing um, from from the actual day the trends imported products those are a big focus for both JD and Alibaba as well reason is Chinese consumers cannot really travel that much, of course, given the travel restrictions around the world at this point. They would have been going on holiday, buying some of those foreign goods abroad, but instead they're buying them on some of these uh, online platforms as well. A couple of the analysts I've spoken to as well are saying that actually what you are seeing is these structural changes. That shift to e-commerce we saw during the lockdowns here in China has remained. You've even got older consumers shifting over to e-commerce as well. So that's an interesting trend as well. And one other uh, big factor here in Chinese e-commerce is around live streaming. This is people looking on their shopping apps, seeing people advertising, influence advertising products and buying within those videos, almost like an internet style tele-shopping as well. That's a, a big trend that's been taking off as well over the last couple of years and really coming to the fore on this singles day. I'll just quickly address also the share price drop you mentioned there, Steve. Well, 
Just earlier this week, we saw the uh, Chinese regulators come out with some uh, antitrust regulations, the first comprehensive uh, draft laws around antitrust as well. And the fear here is this could impact the likes of Alibaba, the likes of Tencent, which have massive networks, not just in e-commerce, but across payments, social media, credit, fintech, all these different areas. And that's why you're seeing those massive share price drops across Chinese tech at the moment. Karen, back to you. Thank you very much for that, Arjun. You know, I was just taking a quick check uh, back over Prime Day, which, of course, is the equivalent uh, for the West with the Amazon event. Right, yes. And they rate in $10.4 billion, up about 40-plus percent, 45 percent higher this time. So, so that compares to the $56 billion. The, so the anti-vaxxers I don't get, but the people who have to spend all this money on these single days drives me mad. It makes me think that they're absolutely bonkers people. Well, you're going to spend the money anyway. We're coming up to the Who's going to spend period. the money anyway? You're I'm holding a line in my presents. family. You've got to buy birthday presents. I mean, I, I was tapping some of these events, I must say. I mean, you're making the purchase anyway. You may as well get it at a discount. Did you give me that man look? <laughs> Don't you <laughs> mean they're husband, so sexist to me? My husband gave me the same look at her. Like, why are you buying on this day? <laughs> <laughs> That's a man look, is it? <laughs> <laughs> More on the shopping bonanza than a single day. Check out CNBC.com. <laughs> All right. Uh, yes, we're going to have more on Singles Day when our U.S. colleagues speak to the Alibaba president, Michael Evans. That is later today, 1740 CT. Right, I'll try not to do my man look. Sorry, uh, very sexist me if I am. Uh, the Hong Kong exchange has reported a 52% rise in third quarter profit after trading levels were supported by a number of large listings this year. The HKEX said its IPO markets uh, were ranked third globally by funds raised. This despite the group suffering a significant setback, of course, as we discussed, after Ant Group's dual listing in Hong Kong and Shanghai was unexpectedly postponed. The exchange said it remains on track to deliver its strategic plan whilst hailing its, quote, strong IPO pipeline. And, and as you've heard already, we're going to hear um, from the Hong Kong Exchange Chief Executive Charles Lee. That's 9.30 CET. Karen, I couldn't be more fascinated by these markets at the moment. So just tell us what's going on. Yeah, incredible. Away from this top line that you're seeing on the percentage numbers and the overall level, we're seeing a huge rotation underneath these markets. We were talking about it for most of this year, this huge run to technology names, whether that would change at some point and you'd see a broadening out of those exposures. But it hadn't happened until we got that vaccine news on Monday. Monday, the development by Pfizer and BioNTech that's been more than 90% effective, that has been the trigger for markets to think beyond just some of the COVID winners to now potential vaccine winners getting back to the old normal way of doing things. And that has meant this uh, huge split between where the trades have been going into the technology names to uh, other exposures. And you can see as a result, the Nasdaq down 1.3 plus percent versus a gain of nine tenths of a percent on the Dow. The Dow, the sixth positive session in seven, now just a slim 1.7 percent off that record high. But if you take a look at the individual tech sector, you could see uh, some of the selling that took place in session. The extent of the declines, Twitter down 1.8 percent. So some of the social media platforms benefiting from all the extra eyeballs and interactions online versus in person. And, you know, Facebook at the other end, you could see also reversing 2.2 percent. In terms of search, Alphabet uh, fell more than 1%. Microsoft was down. That's been one of the big COVID winners around the office space. And Netflix, that was one spot that did still move into the green. But uh, just worth pointing to Amazon too. Clearly issues uh, yesterday around this antitrust suit that's been filed from the Europeans. But the other concern about uh, the dominance you've seen in e-commerce, whether that is also impacted by the reopening that you may see in 2021, that's stocked down heavily in session. Now, the S&P 500 sectors, you can see the rotation that's taken place, the green 
been away from those tech stocks and where it's falling. Uh, one area that really jumped out to me first up on Monday, and not just in the United States, but also in Europe, was the REIT space, getting back into these beaten up real estate investment trusts. And you can see the real estate sector bouncing another half of a percent stateside. Strong gains to be felt elsewhere, though, uh, particularly on consumer staples, almost 2% in the green. Energy has had a very strong run up, and that's reflecting the energy mix, 2.5% in the green. Also, uh, still gains for industrials, 1.8%. The Asian market says they pick up on uh, some of these trades. You can see Hong Kong and Japan both bouncing into the green, but a little bit of reversal for those Chinese stock markets today. So it is just, just worth taking a look uh, back over the screens. I think if you're, you're looking at these markets at this point, the rotation that we've had, and uh, that's very much reflecting the European markets too, Steve, that have been left behind from those U.S. counterparts. But it's been a terrific trading pattern in recent days. Hasn't it? And, and there's so much to say, but I think we'd better hold off a moment because we've got some great tape coming up. But we'll talk especially about the credit markets as well. Coming up on the show, UBS chairman Axel Weber. Well, now, talking about credit markets, he speaks exclusively to CNBC about news of a vaccine breakthrough. And, and this is the point, and I, I think it's fascinating, so I can't wait to hear what he has to say, the impact it could have on credit markets. Plus, we're also going to get the Fed's take on the possible vaccine and what it means for its policy guidance. We'll hear from the president of the Boston Federal Reserve, Eric Rosengren. So much packed in into the show. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. The Trump campaign has filed a lawsuit to stop Michigan from certifying its election results. This is President Trump continues to refuse to concede to Joe Biden. Speaking in Delaware, the president-elect addressed Trump's actions since Election Day. I don't see a need for legal action, uh, quite frankly. I think the legal action is uh, you're seeing it uh, play out, the actions he's taking. Uh, and so far, there is no evidence of any of the assertions made by the president or Secretary of State Pompeo. I just think it's an embarrassment, um, quite frankly. Uh, the only thing that, uh, how can I say this uh, tactfully? I, I think it will not help the president's legacy. Do you think it was funny when Mike Pompeo said there will be a smooth transition to a second Trump administration? He thought it was funny yesterday. He was laughing at his own joke. Not, is, that, is, that, is that the role of, of a, a gentleman of his position to make jokes like that? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, the president-elect, meanwhile, has spoken to several European leaders, including the French president Emmanuel Macron. Uh, Biden expressed his desire to strengthen relations between the US and France, its oldest ally. He added he's interested in reinvigorating bilateral and transatlantic ties through NATO and the EU. The German Chancellor Angela Merkel also echoed that a statement, that statement, in a call with Mr. Biden, saying transatlantic cooperation is of great importance with the multitude of global challenges. Mr Biden also spoke with the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson with the president-elect apparently issuing a warning on Brexit. That's according to the Financial Times. Biden urged Johnson not to let Brexit undermine the Good Friday Agreement on peace in Northern Ireland. Uh, the Prime Minister reportedly assured Biden that would be the case. 
The CEO of BioNTech has told CNBC there is a, quote, excellent logistics platform to ensure its vaccine candidate with Pfizer can be widely shipped and stored. Speaking exclusively to our U.S. colleagues, he outlined what he expected from further examination of the drug. We expect uh, to have a full data set with the uh, with for our primary endpoint analysis, uh, which requires about 164 uh, infection cases in about two weeks, two to three, three weeks from now. Yeah? And uh, and uh, once we have this full data set. Uh, we can we can explore the data and and investigate how the case split is, how the protection in the elderly uh, um, uh, population is, how the pro- protection in the younger population is, and if we observe observe severe cases in the control group. This information will come come up uh, and mature in the next uh, uh, two to three weeks. The U.S. reported over 130,000 new daily COVID cases on Tuesday, a new single-day record. Total hospitalizations have also surpassed their April peak. San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly has told CNBC in an exclusive, exclusive interview that providing stimulus to the economy should remain the priority despite news of vaccine breakthroughs. This after the city was forced to postpone their reopening plans amid a surge in new infections. Vaccine news, of course, for everyone out there in the globe is is welcome news, but we also have rising coronavirus cases right now, both in the United States and across the globe. And so that's my top priority and thinking that we need to continue to support the economy and the American people as we move through this virus. Uh, The president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston, Eric Rosengren, has told CNBC he expects volatility in the markets to continue for at least another six months. Our very own Jumana spoke to him exclusively. As part of the UBS European conference, she began by asking him what impact the vaccine breakthrough could have on the Fed's forward guidance. The pandemic has gotten worse. Uh, It's gotten worse in both the United States and in Europe. And so we're at a situation we hoped we wouldn't be at uh, with the second wave. So while it's very good news about the vaccine and the effectiveness of the vaccine looks to be much higher than people anticipated, it's still going to be quite difficult to distribute it widely. And there's still an open question of how many people will voluntarily get vaccinated. So while it's certainly good news, um, and my own forecast for the second half of the year would assume that it would be widely enough distributed at that point that we should have very robust growth given the fiscal and monetary policy we have right now. I think the next six months are gonna to continue to be pretty choppy. And that's partly because uh, the pandemic has gotten worse than many people expected. In the United States, it's less clear what the fiscal policy is going to be. And it's unclear how easy it's going to be to get widespread adoption of the uh, vaccine. And indeed, the Fed have been quite outspoken about uh, the need for fiscal stimulus coming out of the the U.S. government. In this situation with the political paralysis, are you having to reevaluate how you see the economy panning out, especially with the lower likelihood of fiscal stimulus coming out of this government anytime soon? So I would hope that we would still get a fiscal package. Uh, It's probably not going to come as soon as we were hoping. And that does mean that we're not going to get as robust a growth over the next couple of quarters as we were hoping. Um, I do think the medium to long term run, the economy will be in good shape. 
another challenge for the economy is that in the absence of fiscal policy, and if we don't have a quick uh, distribution of the vaccine, that many businesses are going to find it very difficult to get it through uh, the late fall and winter months. And I do worry that we are going to have more uh, corporate closures and have more unemployment than we otherwise would. And so I think there still is a need for fiscal policy. Um, how much fiscal policy we need in part depends on how quickly we get the vaccine widely distributed. Jamana also sat down exclusively with Axel Weber. She asked the UBS chairman for his take on the market's reaction to a potential vaccine and what it means for the Swiss lenders' forecast for 2021. This is going to take a long time, uh, you know, if dispensed in that way, till it actually has an impact on economic activity. It will, if, if, it will eliminate some tail risks and some of the human suffering, I think, uh, will be much uh, improved as a result of it. But it's a long haul till we get actually to anything that is close to what people call mass immunity. Mm, it sounds like you're cautiously optimistic there. And the operative word that you mentioned is that of time. It's going to take time. In the interim, do you think policymakers and central banks have done enough to keep companies alive? Yeah, so if you look at what central banks have done, basically uh, we've had around 8 trillion of liquidity created through central banks, so roughly 10% of global GDP. We've had another almost 10% of global GDP in terms of fiscal stimulus and around 5% of global GDP in terms of guarantees that have been dispensed. So a massive policy reaction. And this time around, it was really a concerted action, not just monetary policy being the only game in down, but concerted fiscal monetary and uh, guarantee action. Uh, and also, I think the, 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 the speed at which the markets uh, you know, were uh, benefiting from the intervention was very high. In the, in the week of March 16th, there's been a very bold and broad interaction by the Federal Reserve. They de facto put a floor under the U.S. bond market and under the U.S. corporate credit market. And since then, we've seen a very strong rebound uh, as of May, uh, from uh, a very uh, bad uh, development uh, in, in the first and into the second quarter. We've already recovered half of the distance uh, from the peak uh, before the crisis to the, to the through that, uh, that we've seen. And now going forward with the second uh, pandemic uh, problems that we're seeing, it's probably going to slow down growth. In some countries, it might actually lead to a double dip scenario. But we're more optimistic that, you know, this time around, the toll will not be as hard. We're learning to cope with the uh, impact of the virus. We're learning to cope with the uh, with lockdowns being more targeted. And so going forward, I'm not pessimistic. I mean, eventually we will get through this, but we should not be under the illusion that it will happen fast. It will take some time. It'll be at least a year till we go back to pre-crisis levels of GDP. It'll take another year or two till we you know, are anywhere near uh, getting unemployment uh, and pre-crisis crisis growth pass uh, back. And so it would be quite a long uh, recovery that we're facing. So our, our, our vice president, head of news, whatever her title is, um, she, she put out an email last night and I knew it would appear in my rundown sooner or later. And here it is. I actually agree with her. I think this is a very interesting story because the global corporate debt has surged by some $1.2 trillion during the first nine months of this year as companies look to make up 
for lost revenue amid the uh, pandemic. Uh, that's according to S&P Global Ratings. It takes total debt levels up to nearly just $22 trillion. That's all, okay? $22 trillion. Uh, S&P found that speculative debt, and this is the point, speculative debt increased by some 9%, almost twice the rate of investment-grade debt as well. Who is buying this high-yield stuff? Will they continue to buy this high-yield stuff uh, as treasuries and other yields pick up and the yield curve pick up? Will the yield curve be allowed to be picked up by the CBs as well? I have so many questions around the corporate debt market. Is it potentially a canary in the coal mine? On a different angle, though, I mean, you think about these companies tapping the debt market because they're concerned about what their balance sheet looks like if there's a you know, second wave of infection that's particularly brutal to, to economies. And, and that was the track we were going down, if you think about it, before the start of this week when the vaccine news started to, yeah, yeah. to, to break. So companies wanting to have a deep pile of capital seemed prudent. And down the track, if the economy's improved, sure. they pay it I, down. I, and they've been on pretty, pretty good terms if on the interest rate. If there is a deep pool of capital, or if they're investing it, or if they have a sustainable business which just has some short-term liquidity issue because of it. But, but there are so many businesses out there that are not that way. So what UBS chairman Axel Weber is very interested in this well. He told CNBC the corporate sector remains highly leveraged since the financial crisis. I presume means the last one, which in turn has seen a rising number of insolvencies amid the pandemic. One of the uh, challenges we're seeing is that, in particular, the situation in the corporate sector, where leverage has been already high uh, and leverage debt positions have already been high pre-crisis, that's where we're seeing many of the uh, insolvencies compound and concentrated. So, uh, as always, uh, you know how you go into a crisis like this one matters a lot on how you're able to cope with the crisis and how you will actually recover, uh, you know, during the crisis. So. There has been uh, 12 years after the financial crisis, there were stretched balance sheets. The corporate sector is much more levered uh, than it was then. This time around, fortunately enough, uh, the, the banking sector and financial institutions have much, much, much less leverage. Uh, there are much more solid bank balance sheets going in. So what we've seen is a pandemic crisis, a health crisis and an economic crisis, but we haven't seen a financial crisis. And that is partly due to the uh, bold intervention of central banks. But it's also due to the fact that banks were better prepared, more solid balance sheet, less leverage going into the crisis. And that so far has benefited us. I know we're going to move on very quickly, Karen. I, I, I always value almost every word that Axel Weber says because I find myself aligned with his much more eloquent views. Mm. But if the banks aren't holding this and the banks aren't more leveraged, who's holding this stuff? Who's holding the other side of the trade with this highly leveraged, uh, speculative, high yield, dare I say, junk end of the market as well. If the banks are more conservative and they have better reserves and they aren't leveraged themselves, I'm worried about who's the other side of the trade here. pension funds, maybe? I mean, everybody's Quite been chasing yield, for instance. the search for yield, yeah. We've heard repeatedly on the channel a number of calls for And will yield. central banks allow uh, yields to pick up on the long end or any end of the curve as well? I, I know there's one or two commentators, FT piece as well, talking about yields on 10 years getting up to 1.25%. Well, if it does, where's the pain elsewhere on the refinancing for a lot of these companies because of the reflation trade? Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.